Miguel, welcome to the show. Hello, hello, welcome. <laughs> hello, good morning. I'm excited to chat. We're doing a Sunday morning pod. This is this is new territory for me. My kids are at CCD. You're on the West Coast, so this is bright and early for you. So I really appreciate you hopping on. Yeah, yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. No, this is going to be a lot of fun, Miguel. There was a time when you coming on the show would be completely normal, right? You're like a, you're a very fast, dedicated amateur runner, but kind of kind of within the normal range. Now you might be too fast to be on this show. Now I think there there's a chance that you you don't qualify for this show anymore. I might have been too late to the game on this one. Oh man, thank you, thank you. That 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 boosts me up. Well, I should say you just ran a and not just not like it happened last weekend or anything, but recently. You ran a 247 marathon? Oh, my God. Five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, or wherever, if I had told you that you'd be pumping out, you know, mid-240s in the marathon, what would have you said at that point? I would have said, no way. There <laughs> where, is where, no way I would be able to do this. <laughs> well, where were you as a runner? I guess just just, just take us back to say the beginning of the journey, because where you are now is like some pretty rarefied air as a dedicated amateur runner, I know that you weren't someone who like was necessarily like, you know, destined for this, right. You've worked very, very hard to get here. Um, and you weren't always like the fastest guy in the block. So what, what, what's, what's been like your, your athletic journey from a running perspective? Yeah. My, uh, my relationship with, uh, running actually started, uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, my father was a, a, is a marathon runner and, um, every morning he would wake me up like, Hey, let's go run. That a teenager does not want to wake up at six in the morning, seven in the morning to go run five, ten miles and get back in there. But um, I graduated high school and team sports was not an option for me, you know, work and scheduling. Uh, so the best thing is uh, running. You don't need a teammate or anything like that. It's nice to have a running buddy, but, uh, you know, it's a pretty independent sport. So 2013, jumped into the marathon. Uh, and absolutely disliked it. <laughs> it hurt. I was in pain. Uh, I remember crossing LA Marathon. My wife was, uh, well, my, she was my girlfriend at the time. Um, she was trying to uh, say congratulations. You know, you did it. I busted out at 327. And I was just in so much pain. I was like, do not touch me. Uh, everything hurts. <laughs> I waddled to, to the car and waited a couple hours and signed up for another marathon. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. Let's go back to the teenage years. I find this interesting. I love hearing these stories about um, kids who, who are in, the, in in that kind of position. Cause like, I feel like I could be that father. I was that kid. Like my dad was really athletic and like, I definitely yeah. like kind of like took to that. And it definitely was part of the reason I was an athletic kid, not just the genetic part, but like I wanted to be like my dad. Right. In a lot of ways. And um, as a as a parent now, I'm like, all right, like, how do I walk this fine line of like, you know, supportive and, and being like, you know, trying to, to assist my kid to have the best time they possibly can and, you know, tap into whatever potential they have and whatever endeavor that is, but not being like, you know, like trying to run the show. You know what I mean? So let's talk. Let's let's talk about those teenage years. Right. Your dad's like, hey, come on, let's go. Let's go. What how did that how did that feel in the moment? Like, was he like putting a ton of pressure on you? Like, why? Like, what would it feel like in terms of what he was doing? And can you walk us back into like why you were resistant at that point to really engage with the sport and just 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 with what he was trying to do? 
Yeah, so his invitation was super passive. I think he was just trying to introduce introduce me to the running community that was available to him at that time, which is still existing. He saw he's been running for the LA Roadrunners, um, which is the local training training group out here, one of the original ones. And he's been running with them, I want to say, for like 15, 18 years now. Um, and so that program is so amazing because it's so supportive. Um, there's different walks of life there and everybody has the same goal. So it kind of, it, I, I understand why he wanted me to be there, but I think he has wanted to, wanted it to be organic, but um, there was never any pressure. He was like, Hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do this. Like, come check it out. And it's funny because he did invite me to go see the race and I caught him a couple of times and it, it got me motivated, right. To see him out there grinding it out and seeing everybody else grind it out. And so that, that was pretty cool. But my resistance was, yes, you know, I don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, you, you could call it laziness, right? Um, so I, I just simply did not want to wake up early in the morning. And as a teenager, I used, to, I used to love to sleep in. I used to wake up at noon and go start to do stuff. And so, you know, that, that's a big gap. Six in the morning, wake up at noon wanted to get get those snooze that snooze in for sure so were you doing other sports during your high school years oh during high school yeah i did uh varsity soccer for venice high school and and that was my jam soccer growing gotcha. up was was the one thing that that kept me in school that's what got me through school so that was, <laughs> that was amazing i i miss soccer actually <laughs> And it's a great entree to running, right? Because you're doing a ton, right? You're doing a ton of running as a youth, but you're also, you're getting strong and you're building up, building up like your lateral, you know, quickness and just your general athleticism and just in, in strength as well. So, you know, there's so many runners that I was just listening to a podcast with Sally McRae and Tim Tollison. And they were talking about like their high school soccer days. Like that was like their sports as well. And they, you know, turned out to be two of the best ultra runners of like their generation in America. And it was like, you know, it's such an interesting way. And even Jared Ward and so many other people have gotten kind of started in running coming from a, a soccer background. Cause there's just so many, you know, you know, parallels within the sport, especially just in terms of like the athletic profile. So when you, you said 2013 is when you really started getting into it. Can you yeah. talk to us about that? that decision-making process where you went from someone who like kind of resisted it more out of like the early morning side of it versus the, the just the dislike of the sport, but still at the same time, like, you know, you're rocking at all hours. Now you're talking to me at seven o'clock in the morning, your time. So you're, you're an early <laughs> riser. So talk to me about you know, getting back, getting into the sport in a way that has now kind of laid the framework for what you're doing at this point. Yeah. So it was a little bit of like not having any, any sports in my life at that point. And it actually kind of st- um, kind of like uh, got my beak wet in 2012. Um, my father invited me to a Christmas run. So that one was 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 a good easy one to get there. It was a 10K, which actually it's it was a long distance for me back then. Um, and I finished and I felt good. And I think the following month there was another local race and I actually placed like third place in my oh. age division and I was like whoa what's going on here like how did I how did I get them it's funny I still have that medal it's like the smallest medal ever for age division and uh and I was like oh I might have something here let me see if I can get first place so it was always like chasing that that podium right and um 
Yeah, I lost my train of thought, but but that's that, interesting. That's so you had for. you had pretty early success, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. Obviously, and who knows, right? It's, it's it's different than like the LA Marathon getting the podium there versus just like a local race. But at the same time, like that's that's considerable, and I think that that's important. Do you think that that kind of early success was important to kind of get you kind of get the snowball rolling downhill a little bit? Or do you think that you would have gone kind of had the same kind of trajectory, even if you didn't start like, you know, having that immediate validation? Yeah. So definitely it was the, the carrot to chase. Right. Um, I, I think I was super proud about that medal that I was like, Ooh, maybe I could squeeze out first place, second place. Like let's get a little bit faster. And so that's what brought excitement to my life in, in regards to running. And then um, from there, uh, I think uh, I think I was stepping up the distances because I slowly went up to like half marathon and then uh, the marathon. And so I was just trying to I, I noticed that the longer the distance, the more possibility it was for me to get further up to that podium, because at that age, oh. like I think I was like maybe 20, 21. That age group is so small that there wasn't too much competition, so it, it was easier to to get up there. But now that I'm in that that nice spicy age range, now it, it gets fun. It's not even about podiuming. I realize that now it's about well for me it's about time. Let's see how fast I could get and uh, and let's pick some some spicy courses too. So oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. Like I've been in a lot of races where like there was no such thing as like the 20 to 25 age group. It was just like that was just like the open division. It was like yeah. kind of like almost like 16 to 30. It was like you guys are all in one one little area here. <laughs> and then we'll start segmenting afterwards. Uh, and then it was kind of like and there's also like the younger group, right? You could be like 10 to 15 or you know kind of that that sort of thing. So that's interesting how like you just kind of like fell into that group and at like the perfect timing for like those races that kind of that you said like what your beak for it. And you bring up a good point because usually at that age, most people kind of gravitate towards the shorter stuff in part because like it's more, I mean, it's all, you you have to train for everything, but the shorter the race, the more genetically driven it can be, right? Like as opposed to like the longer the race, you have to keep building up your aerobic base and do all sorts of things to, to really make that happen. So what about these longer races besides like you just said like hey maybe i'll have less competition like really gravitated towards you because again that in that age range most of the time people are going more for like the 5k range and kind of people really start diving into that stuff later on in life yeah so yeah you get your speedsters in the 5k and it's interesting because i didn't do my first 5k until last year what <laughs> yeah i raced my first 5k and it was while i was on vacation in colombia so altitude and humidity. And I went out to the local track and I noticed that they were having an event. And I was like, hey, this is perfect. I've never done a, a 5K, let's jump in. And then um, I was out there communicating in Spanish. I got a bib, scrambled to the uh, to the starting line. And since they were talking in Spanish, uh, my brain was bonking. They were like, okay, we're gonna do uh, a 5,000 and I'm like, Cinco mil, what, what's that? And so I was like, I can't think right now. And I just asked the guy, I asked somebody, I was like, how many loops is that? And he's like, you see that across the field? Let's go around it a couple of times and then we're done. And I was like, oh, perfect. I, I understand loops. And uh, I ended up doing it. But you understand and- Spanish too. How is, how is this? 
I was there was a language barrier here. My brain was not computing that day. And um, it's funny because I ended up getting last place right there. I think I entered the last heat, the wrong heat. I got I got dropped like within the first couple of loops. And I it was super funny to me because I got passed by a guy running in uh, in Air Force Ones, which are like Oh my the, god. Like the worst shoes to ever run. If you're they're they're bad for every athletic endeavor. Even when they came out <laughs> as basketball shoes, they weren't even good basketball shoes. They're only good yeah. for style. That's it. Yeah, the, it, it was so much fun, and uh, I just kept pushing the pace throughout the throughout everything, and uh, I ended up finishing. And I think I scrapped out like a twenty-one or something like that. Um, and I was like, "Whoa, I know I have oh." And that was cool because I had the Twilight 5000 coming up as soon as I landed back from Colombia. And so it put me like, hey, I know you're on vacation, but do a little bit of training because now, because when you show up right there, the you know, yeah, at least you're going to have a little bit of advantage of not having the humidity or elevation. So maybe we need to like go down to Colombia to, f- to find all these amazing runners who like who dusted you in a 5k you're a very good runner <laughs> this, yeah. is like, this is like a scary proposition it's not like you went down there like hey I haven't run in three years and like you got like you know your ass handed to you so to speak it was like <laughs> you're, you're like at the top of your game <laughs> they dropped you like who are these people this is insane yeah and then uh just to add on to that to that um that time frame that I was in Colombia. Uh, after that, I got really serious into making sure all my trainings were purposeful when I was there. And so there's days where I was training on uh, on the in the uh, landing area where where the local airport was, because that's sometimes that was the only place there was concrete to run. Because I was going to like little hidden places in Colombia, and one day it was pretty cool because there's this place called Capurgana and there's only half a mile of beach when the sun is setting because the water rises. And so you get cut off and we got back from a boat trip and that's all I had to run on. And so I got, took my shoes off, just got into my bathing suit, started doing my, my mileage on there. And then all of a sudden the, this local comes in there and he's over there running with me. And then he was like, Oh, this is too easy. Cause we're running on the sand. Right. I'm like, too easy. This is hard. My calves are on fire. And he's like, right, let's right. go a little bit into, into the water, at least halfway. And so he's over there moving. And I just look over to him and I'm like, hey, man, you come to the States? I think you're pro, man. You're winning a bunch of races, making good money. And he's like, nah, I'm right here. This is my life. <laughs> We need to get Mario Frioli down there. We need to get like a professional running coach and podcaster down there to like mine the talent of like the town you were in. Because this sounds yeah. like there were a bunch of killers down there. I mean, yeah, my gosh. Yeah, yeah and uh, absolutely. There's so much talent out there. Yeah, I was just uh, amazed and and super humbled just in both that race and just uh, at at that uh, in Capurana seeing that guy running. Let's talk about talent. Because, you know, you're talking about these people in reverential tones, and understandably so, and I'm sure you could probably talk about some people that you run with in L.A. in the same respect, right? Like, look at these people. They're just crushing. They're doing amazing things. Like, I'm out there with them, and they're, you know, put me, you know, take me behind the woodshed. At the same time, like, you're a 247 marathoner. You are an exceptionally fast person. Like, your marathon PR is an hour 
faster than mine. An hour. <laughs> like this is like a joke, right? So what when you think about running talent, how do you quantify it? Because someone could look at you just as easily as you're talking about these people and say the same things about you that you're talking about these folks. Um, the first thought that comes to my mind is that that quote, right? It says, um, hard work beats talent any day. I feel that applies so much in running. You don't have to be talented. You just have to put in the work. Um, as long as, you know, well, if your goal is to get fast, there is, I feel the formula is very simple. You get your volume up and throw in some speed work. You're, you're good to go. You're going to start to break some PRs or in, in Wapple Boy fashion, get into some trails and, and you're going to get strong regardless. Uh, trails are, are perfect for that. You're going to start climbing, get the quads strong, get the glutes strong, and you're going to correct that form because guess what? It's not even on the trail, so you're going to have to you have to work at it. All right, you're going to have to give, give people the explanation because I can see, I know you, and I, I see you rocking the sweatshirt right now. Guapo Boy's got the sweatshirt on, um, <laughs> and I've been following you for a long time. Give people a little explanation about what that is in the club that you're talking about. Oh, oh so Waffle Boys, yeah. Uh, thanks. Uh, unintentional plug. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, that started in 2019. It's actually founded by my friend, Noel Velasco. And um, at that time, there wasn't that many trail runners, especially within our age group or anything like that. Um, so he has put a, a group together and it was actually like, a, like two worlds combining. The love of running on trails and, and training up in the mountains just to switch it up. And also um, it was more charity as well. Cause at the time he had something called Alleviate Skid Row where we would get donations as far as like blankets, um, uh, basic necessities like toothpaste, toothbrushes, blankets, and we'd go out to Skid Row and distribute. Um, and so that was something super cool. So it's something uh, that combined just giving back to, to the community and helping out. And so that's kind of where he defined uh, Wapo Boys. It was more like, Wapo means handsome, right? Handsome guy. Um, but we, I guess he wanted to deconstruct the word Wapo and give it a new meaning. And instead of it being just looks, that it had to be coming from the heart. Um, hence the, the charitable stuff, right? And so that's where we started that. And it was just a handful of five folks. and. For some odd reason, people liked it. it. They liked it so much that we would get DMs like, hey, I'm like the most handsome guy. Yeah, I'm going to join. And, and it was so funny, like, the things people would say to try to join it. But it's so, it wasn't a formal club or anything like that. It was just something that came out of the, came out of thin air, right? And so slowly people, you know, started to jump on. Noel created the, the Instagram page and followers came in left and right and we're all about it. And and to this day, we still get people like, oh, how do you join? But it's not like something formal. There's no formal meetups or anything like that. Um, if you were to ask any of us, it's just like it's in your head, you know? If I you feel that. like you're a Wapo boy, then, then you're a Wapo boy. You're running in the trails. Then, you know, you're it. <laughs> That's great. Hey, folks, are you tired of the spike and crash and GI distress that comes with sugar-based sports nutrition? Well, let me tell you, I know I am, and it's why I use UCAN before and during runs. It's a big deal 
for me. Um, and it's just, it really does settle my stomach and even more importantly, provides me the energy that I need to feel good on my runs and then even on race days. So if I have a big long run planned, I usually do two skips, two, two skips, two scoops. There it is of the, you can powder. And then one of the little mini scoopers of the, you can hydrate, which is an electrolyte mix, which tastes really good. Pop it in there. And then I feel really good on the run. And if it's a really long run too, I get one of the edge gels. These edge gels are you can's version of on the grun nutrition. And they are fantastic. They're kind of like a liquid gel. And for me, it, it absorbs super fast. It doesn't have a lingering taste. The taste is fine, but it doesn't linger in your mouth. And it provides a ton of energy. I just used it on a run two days ago. I really, really like this stuff. And the bars, oh my gosh, the bars, <laughs> they're fantastic. Uh, it's easy to see why the UCAN got some awards for their Edge Energy Gel. It really is absolutely fantastic. In fact, if you go to our special, UK, our special URL, this is fantastic news. You can get six edge sample pack so basically six edge energy gels for free all you have to do is pay for shipping if you go to youcan.co forward slash rambling to claim that exclusive offer also if you just use code rambling you can save 20 percent on all of your orders at youcan.co if you're not sure what i said right there just go into the show notes as all the links and all of the promo codes there again it's just code rambling save 20 percent and your six free edge gels at youcan.co forward slash rambling. All right. Well, let's talk about this because you talked just a second ago before we started talking about the Waffle Boys about like, hey, you raise your mileage, you throw in some speed work, you're going to be good to go. And like, that's what you're going to hear from a lot of people. And it's so true. And it sounds easy. We both know that that is not the case. There are a lot of things that can stop people. There's injury. They're not. There's there's mm -hmm. the buildup. There can be going you know too deep into heavy mileage early on, and there's just there's time constraints. What has been um, your evolution in terms of what weekly mileage looks like in terms of like you know continuing to stack those miles over time? And talk to me about like what results came from that uh, so people understand what, what what you mean by that and what what has you know tied into it in terms of your own running yeah so the biggest game changer for me was uh jumping into no days off um of course it's, it doesn't have to be run every day but for me i took that approach um the reason why i took that approach is as soon as i have a day off like it's it it's a trickle effect i'll get a second day off i'll get a third day off and so it was just making a habit and staying consistent of making sure I get out to run. So my minimum is like a, uh, three miles. If, if you know, if I absolutely can't go out and run, I'm going to at least get three miles. And so that at least kept me consistent. And as far as building up a volume, um, before it used to be like 30 miles, whatever the training plan was, which I'm horrible with training plans and coaches. Um, my friend uh, uh, that was helping me out with that a bit uh, realized that I'm the worst and I'm the most uncoachable person because <laughs> I don't listen. Uh, I don't listen and I don't follow the plans. And uh, yeah, I just kind of do my own thing. And as far as volume, I started, I think when I started, it was like around 30 miles, uh, 30 miles, mostly a weekend warrior, whatever uh, the long, long run was plus just a little bit of miles in between the week. And so that obviously didn't contribute towards any any outstanding performance. But the more I dove into the sport and realized that the, 
by raising your overall volume, uh, that would you would benefit from that. And so I think last year I bumped up my volume to 80 miles a week to Whoa. the goal was 100 miles a week. But just like you were mentioning, sometimes you risk injury. And so I think the, into the second month, I started to get a tingle, right? That, that little tingle that we kind of downplay. We call it a tingle because uh, um, because we don't want to say it's an injury or, or something significant so that we don't derail ourselves from continuing to train. Um, shout out to Anne. She posted something about the tingle. That's why I was kind of like giggling. Um, and, uh, and so I got that tingle and it persisted. I kept on training, kept on doing my speed workout. And I can say I, I, I was injured. I kind of muscled through it. Um, but yeah, that definitely getting up your volume in a, in a safe manner will help you out. Usually I see getting up to my volume as an easy task because I have no days off. So I have some type of fitness. So you always want to, if you're doing it, do it the safe way. It's always more important to go into race day uh, healthy and undertrained rather than overtrained and possibly injured. Let's talk about the um, the psychology that you mentioned before. Like, so you, for you, no days off was important because if once you start slipping, it can be like like a slip and slide on like an on like on a cliffside, right? Like you could easily one day can turn to four days off, and it's like it just can just take over for you. Um, I do worry, like when I hear runners talk about no days off, that some people will take that to the extreme of like every day is hard. Right. So like push, 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 push. And I know that there is that those two things are not necessarily synonymous. Like I have runners who like I, I prefer I prefer to have all my runners take like a day off that I coach. But I have some runners who like they'll do like 30 minutes on the bike just because they want to get movement in that day. Right. And I know there's some people like you and I'm actually in the same realm of like it, it's so easy for me to get off course. Like mm-hmm. one day can push me off course unless I have someone who's like right there to correct me, which is like why for me, like I, for me, having a coach is so important. Isn't because like, hey, these are great training plans. It's more like I need that accountability because if I don't have it, I'll go off the rails so fast. Like you won't even believe it. So like it sounds like you're you and I are kind of like simpatico in that way. So talk to me about the psychology of of staying engaged and why that's important to you. Cause I know for everybody, they, they approach these things differently and kind of knowing yourself can be so important to, to figuring out how to achieve your goals. Ooh, good call on that. Um, the psychology of no days off. So on race day, you don't get to choose the weather, right? And then Very on true. race day, you might get to the point where you're absolutely exhausted and, and, uh, in your head, you're like, hey, maybe I should dial it back a bit, or maybe you're in a situation where 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 you're in a dark place and you're digging into the well. Guess what? With no days off, I'm gonna get go out there regardless if it's raining, super windy, uh, if I'm tired, if I had a 10 hour, 12 hour shift, I know I have to go get my run in the next day, right? So it helped me out tremendously for that. And I remember. Um, Last year at Boston, uh, I, I kind of, in my head, I was prepared to run that race because there was this one specific run that I was out with uh, my training partner, Siggy, and we're out in the aqueduct, and it was so windy. 
And it was winning to the point where you were literally like bent over. Well, I shouldn't say bent over, but like you were, you know, pushing so much that you had to like uh, tilt your body and you're still getting pushed back. And so I was like, hey, I remember that day I was like, hey, Boston, if this is what you got, guess what? I'm training already for you and I'm ready. So bring it. And so I carried that with me. And I remember it was like a little bit overcast last year. And I was like, oh, perfect. If it rains, guess what? I'm ready for it. If it's windy, I'm ready for it. Just bring it. And so I kind of keep on using that, that little bookmark in my head uh, for any race. Because the same thing was for CIM, right? We all thought it was going to rain. And it was windy. It was cold. It was miserable. In my head, I was like, it's perfect. It's race time, baby. Time to go. And uh, so the no days off, it, it, just, it contributes a lot to, to my mental just because Whatever occurs in race day, I've already done it. I've done it already in racing. So I feel like it, it prepares you. So when you're running 80, 90 miles a week, that's that's a ton of mileage. Even if you are running eight, even if you are running seven days a week, uh, I almost said eight days a week. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> I was trying to do the math of like, if there's eight days a week, it's 80 miles, it's 10 miles a day. I think I was, I was, I was yearning for the easy math of it all. But um. Yeah, when you're doing that, are you running doubles or is it just you're just always hitting at least 10 miles a day? Yeah, good call that. It was 10 miles a day. <laughs> How did you know that on the head? Yeah, so it's 10 miles a day. We have our loops and um, a lot of loop, a lot of the loops involved the uh, hill training. And on rare occasion, I would get doubles um, because uh, I would run with Ziggy in the morning and then to get some track workout. And because I like the environment, I would stumble over to Good Vibes Track Club, which they train in Rancho Cienega. Like, shoot, I think it's a 45-minute drive for me. So I would make the effort to go out there and then uh, get that. And then uh, then I would get that training in. So on rare occasion, I would get the doubles in. But mostly it was just one rip, 10 miles. And I've, the reason why I started doing 10 miles is I figured, like, if I'm training at least close to half marathon when it's race day, I could tell myself, hey, you've been doing this every day. This is this was your warm up. Now you have the rest of the race to really push the pace and, and make it make it through the finish line. And it's obviously something people can't just like jump into. Someone's not going to go from like couch to like 10 miles a day. I mean, you're, you're yearning mm -hmm. for a stress fracture in that case. But that number has obviously it's, it's a round number so like there's obviously gonna be gravity around it anyway but it's i think about like like this has been the number for you right again i don't want to put too put too much like hey everyone be like david goggins because he does seem like a one-on-one -on -one. but i remember like in his book he said plenty of time like when he said hey i'm gonna start running 10 miles a day like that was a and doing it consistently that was a tipping point for him as an athlete can ride out the same way right can ride out it's a 55 56 year old guy who's doing amazing things as a runner for him, but he said, okay, I'm going to elevate to 10 miles a day as my normal my normal run. That's also when things started to click. Again, that's a round number, so it's easy to kind of mythologize it. But at the same time, it's just also a proxy for like, I'm going to build up my aerobic base in a major, major way. And that's going to be kind of the the way I'm going to reach my goals, which is so interesting. Because like, obviously, if you're running 10 miles a day, you're not like going out there and just freaking hammering all the time. Because oh, you're no. not going to be able to recover the next day. Mm-mm. So that's the, that's the key thing. I think the evolution of shoes kind of helped out for that too. Um, as long as you have proper shoes, you're 
you're not getting that same impact to your legs. So you're able to get out there the next day. Also, I've been, I have a little bit of a background with kinesiology. Uh, I didn't quite finish my AA, but uh, I have enough information where I could call it bro science, right? And so uh, I also take uh, a lot of, um, a lot of things to help me out in my recovery. Like just recently, I found out that, uh, well, I didn't recently find out, but uh, pineapple juice helps with inflammation, cherry tart helps with, uh, with the inflammation and recovery. And um, so I've been doing a lot of that. And then for, for muscle recovery, uh, I don't wanna get into the, I didn't wanna get to, into the protein because when I, uh, a couple years ago when I started getting protein, I just got fat. <laughs> I got like super fat and it was, it wasn't conductive towards what I was trying to do. And so I, instead I ended up taking a lot of uh, BCAAs. So branch chain amino acids, which is the, the building block for, for muscles, which, you know, starting to geek out a little bit and just fine tuning my body in order to make sure that I'm recovered for the next day. Um, so yeah, nutritionally. You, you want to have everything with what you're eating. Um, it, I felt like I'm always in a rush. Sometimes I might miss eating well. So I made sure to do it with, with, uh, with those substitutes. Well, good for you for figuring out what works for you. I know for me, like protein after a run has been like a huge thing for me. Like it's been, <laughs> it's been, it's been great. Um, you know, just for me, I also, cause I feel like I have in my own diet, I like it's lacking. You know, so it's like I need to if I don't supplement with it, I feel like I just like miss out on it with with certain meals and things like that. And again, it goes to the individuality of some of the stuff. And obviously what you're doing is working because not only are you running well, but you're running consistently and and you've been able to stack up months and months and years and years of doing this. And for a long time, you were on this train of like, can you can I break three hours? Right. Like you were you were, you know really trying to hit that hard. Like our good friend Kafuzi, uh, who's been on the show many times I've worked with over on relay, like you're know, working so hard for that. When you are going through that and really trying to, to nail that. And when you look, I guess, let me put it this way. When you look back on that endeavor, do you feel like focusing so hard on three hours in a way made it harder to achieve that goal? Cause obviously like you had more in you, like here you are like 15 minutes faster than you were at some of those races, do you think that by focusing so hard on three hours, it actually held you back a little bit because your potential was actually way faster than that? Or do you think that having that, that time goal helped you focus your, and your energy? That's, that's pretty interesting you say that because for me, uh, I'm realizing now that I've always needed a carrot to chase, uh, to, to set a goal. And prior to even hitting under three hours, my goal was to get my, my dad's time. So he's a 307 marathoner. And so that's his PR. And for the large majority of my, my running career, I've been trying to break that. I was trying to break that until I finally did. And I was like, hey, I did it. Now what? And so then I was just like, like left like that John Travolta meme, just like with my hands up and looking around like, what do I do now? And so that's when I found out about uh, Boston Marathon qualification for it. So then I started gunning for that since I'm not that far off. And I, I think the first um, the first journey towards that, uh, I didn't I didn't cut it quite right. Um, and uh, I wasn't fast enough because of the cutoff time, right? And so the goal was under three hours, 
and my first sub three marathon was like 359.57. So with a couple of seconds to spare. And uh, and then I was like, shoot, I need to run another one. And so then the next one was a month later uh, at Mountains to Beach. And uh, I ended up doing a 359, like 54. So only a couple more seconds. I was like, oh my God, like this is not happening. Like this does not cut it for that. And um, I ended up qualifying at one of the Rebel uh, races at Rebel Big Bear. And uh, that one gave me a 251. And I was like, holy crap, like I just hit a two, 251. Like that's a New York qualifier and a Boston Marathon qualifier. And so after that, I was just like kind of lost. Like I was like, how, how am I going to break that time? I just used a net downhill race to establish this and now I have this race. Uh, and like, I guess I could have gone back to that race and, and try to beat the time there, but I, I got a lot of feedback of like, Hey man, you know, that, that was downhill. That's not, that's not a real race. And I'm like, what are you talking I, I about? I got to stand up to that one. This was 26.2, dude. Like, I got to stand up to that one because like, <laughs> I've heard people say that and be like, listen, go race a downhill race and tell me like that your legs aren't crushing you afterwards. Like yeah. this isn't like a downhill 5k. Right. Where you can just like let it fly. And like by the time the race is over, like, you know, the, the contract, like the, the eccentric muscle contractions are building up on you. Like <laughs> running downhill for 26 miles is hard. Like that yeah. is some hard work on your legs, man. Yeah. Good luck to your quads. Right. Uh, so th- I would take the same approach. I'm like, hey, how come next year? Let's let's sign up. Let's run it. Let's do it. And they're like, nah, I don't want to. It's, it's downhill. It's too hard on, on your knees, on your legs. I'm like. You know, then, then what's, what, you know, just run it, see how you could do. Maybe you could uh, bust something wild. And so after I had that, that interaction, I'm like, man, I have a chip on my shoulder now. And if, if I don't get rid of this chip, it's going to grow into, into a big old bag of lays or something. Right. And so the goal was to, to break uh, that PR uh, away from that race. And so I'm like, you know what? they're talking about the easy race at Revel. Let, let me find a good race, a legit race. And so what's the most legit race to, to get is uh, Boston, right? Boston or CIM, highly reputable courses. Even though they're highlighted as downhill uh, courses, you have to earn it. It's, it's rolling, it's challenging. Uh, Boston's known for the Heartbreak Hill. And then CIM, everybody's reaction is like, I thought it was downhill. That is not downhill. So uh, I was like, all right, cool. Let's do that at those races. And so that was my carrot for, for, for my performance this year, both at Boston and at, uh, at CIM. And at Boston, I think I squeezed out a 252, so just shy of, of breaking that. But I was super impressed because the first time I ran Boston, I completely bonked and got like a 310. And so I was like, all right, cool. That, that's improvement. I'll take that. I'll take a course PR. And so that was a good booster towards CIM. And so the CIMs were where I squeezed it out and it erased that rebel race, which right, you know, right. it's not to downplay everybody else that has a, a thing. It was just something personal for me, just out of my, my own experience with, with my, my friends that unintentionally motivated me. <laughs> and going back in time, what was the, like your, fir- your first marathon time? It was uh, 327. 327 hobbling in 
from uh, Dodger Stadium to to Santa Monica. That was the LA Marathon. Here you are, man. Forty sec, forty minutes faster, right? Like three twenty-seven is a, is is a good time. But some people look at this and they say, "Oh man, like I'm just you know I'm, that, that's me." You know, I'm like mid threes, right? So say like so for for guys like you know you're. You're 30 minutes away from qualifying for Boston, right? If you're a female runner of the same age group, and that's like that's like running a four-hour marathon. You're like you're you know roughly 30 minutes away from from qualifying for Boston. And it's so easy for someone to see that, and be like, oh, like, well, I could never like drop 40 minutes off my time. Like that, there's no way that can happen. And here you are, you've proven it time and time again, which is absolutely amazing, Miguel. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking all about this because I know a lot of people have big goals and sometimes they don't quite understand like maybe the goals that they set, even their big long-term goals, maybe aren't even big enough. And thank you for being such a model for that. <laughs> Unintentional model, but thank you so much. It's uh, it's my pleasure to be on here and I was surprised that you reached out. I'm like, hey, I'm like just a regular guy. Like he's reaching out to me to interview. I was like, I'm curious to to find out what I have to say as well. So I uh, was more than willing to come on here. And uh, thank you for the opportunity. Well, being a regular guy is the hallmark of this show, right? It's all regular guys and females and doing people just do out there doing their thing, right? The dedicated amateur runners, because you know, you're doing amazing work. And I've been following you for a long time. And truth be told, there's been like dozens of people who are like, you got to get Miguel on the show. So there's going to be plenty of people listening right now who are not surprised at all that you're on. So thanks again for hopping on, my man. All right. Thank you.